You're listening to Innovation Radio, where we interview entrepreneurs focused on innovation, technology, and entrepreneurship. Innovation Radio is brought to you by the world's first theme park for entrepreneurs, the Levan Center of Innovation, the only innovation center in the nation to support the founder's journey from birth of an idea through successful exit or global expansion. Now, here's your host, Lee Cantor. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Innovation Radio, and couldn't be doing this kind of work without support from our sponsor, the Levan Center of Innovation. Today's show is going to be great. I think you're going to enjoy listening to our guest and learning quite a bit. Today on Innovation Radio, we have Kelly Kiedis Ogborn with Space Foundation. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you, Lee. I'm really looking forward to this conversation and talking about all the wonderful things happening in space. Yeah, we've talked a lot about what's happening on Earth, so it's time we get beyond that. Always. And understand what the possibilities are out there in space. But before we get too far into it, tell us about Space Foundation. How are you serving folks? Absolutely. So it's a, it's a privilege to join you today and, you know, be able to talk to your audience. So Space Foundation has been a longstanding pillar within the space community. We're actually turning 40 years old this year. So it spanned four decades and we really are the vanguard for information, education and collaboration across the global space ecosystem. And so what that means is that we provide really diverse products and services to help the totality of everyone trying to scale and grow into space. And what most people know us for is the Space Symposium, which is a annual conference. This year, it's going to be in its 38th year that happens every April in Colorado Springs. And what that does is it's really widely attended um, with all cross sections of space. So everyone from national security, academia, commercial and civil come to really talk about the policy and the evolution of where space is going. And then we also on the other side of house do a lot of really robust K through 12 education. We believe that space really begins in the classroom. And so being able to educate and inspire students about how to get involved in the ecosystem and what skill sets and background scale is really critical uh, for us. And then where I fit is sort of in the middle of those two. So I am the vice president of space commerce and entrepreneurship for Space Foundation. And what I really focus on are the startup startup ecosystem and the entrepreneurs and also the high growth companies that want to both qualify and quantify where space is going and create roadmaps for success. So I get the really fun job of being able to forecast market trends and tech trends and and figure out insertion points for companies so they can be successful and scale. So how has the evolution of the industry gone over these 40 years that you've been around? I, I would imagine at some point it was kind of government was the impetus to exploration and had the means to do some of these things. But nowadays, it seems like there's more entrepreneurs getting involved into this area. How has it evolved over the years? Absolutely. It has evolved tremendously. However, there is still a lot of room for growth. And so what I mean by that is you can really think about it in three different ways. You can look about the, the government strategic role. You can look at investment profiles and also entrepreneurial tech activity. And I'll, I'll touch on all three of those. So from a government aspect, you're absolutely right. I mean, our 
space race, you know, started with the launch of Sputnik 1 in 1957. And really, um, that's what propelled the United States to get involved in space activities. And at that time, um, really, from the 1950s until the early 1990s, um, all activities within space were vertically integrated and aligned with government priorities. And so the government really, from a national security perspective, um, set direction of where they wanted to go. And so exploration and technological progression were sort of secondary to that space posturing, because as you can imagine, um, it was very important for us to be to be first and, and to be the most longstanding. Um, but since then, we are really moving away from this era of Apollo. This is what I like to categorize it. And the Apollo era was really critical because it really did give us our modern day space industry. But now we are moving into the era of Artemis, which calls for more collaboration as well as competition. But if we are collectively, you know, as an ecosystem trying to go back to the moon, um, partially for posturing, but mainly right now it's to conduct research missions, it's to establish lunar outposts, and then really use that, um, use the surface of the moon as a leverage point to jump off into other uh, orbits and also Mars and eventually go to Mars. It's really critical to involve both government and the commercial world. And so now we're seeing a little bit less vertically integrated from government direction down, commercial up, to now the government really setting the strategic direction, but the commercial um, companies really interpreting what that means from a business opportunity and scaling into it. The second piece of that is if you just look at funding, right now uh, space is really exploding. So this year, the space economy number was cataloged at $469 billion, and it's projected to reach $1 trillion by 2040. And so 2040 is really not that far along, and $469 billion is very close to half. The other piece, too, is that we are, um, as an industry, 55% higher than just a decade ago. And what's driving that is a lot of this in, in private investment into the ecosystem. Last year, there was about $10 billion of private in investment. Um, and what's interesting about it is that it was diversified, um, not just on orbit. So traditionally, investment would go toward, you know, your large scale satellite systems in geosynchronous orbit. But we are now seeing investment for low Earth orbit, which is very, very close to the Earth's surface um, for a diversity of types of technologies and business opportunities. And so the diversification has really made it exciting. And then on the technological side, um, one of the things that I always say is that the future of space will be anchored by familiar segments, but really defined by these emerging markets. And every day we see these new companies and ideas and capabilities coming online that as an industry, we want to figure out what to do with them and uh, and fold them in. And so it's really starting to make people think more creatively about the future of space and how it can really in, encompass, you know, established space businesses and these young, agile, creative minds. Now, is that why it's so important to engage younger people in the possibilities of space and working in this area and thinking creatively about this area? And and I would think that at some point that 
the creative class, the authors, the science fiction writers or dreamers or the, um, you know, the people who make movies about space, all of those play kind of a role to inspire people to get involved and see the possibilities within space. And then you have, you know, the telescopes, the web telescope, the Hubble that it's out there showing you these amazing pictures of, of, you know, worlds you can't even imagine or, or uh, years ago you didn't even know existed. Like, how does that all come together and play? Because in order to have that growth, in order to have uh, the ability to do all those things down the road, you need talent to be able to execute on that. You do. You need talent and you need agility are probably two of the main things. Um, one thing that we benefit from in the space industry is that there is no shortage of in very intelligent driven people. And so you see this creativity kind of permeate throughout the ecosystem, whether it's from a government agency or someone from who um, like a, a really established industry rep down to your entrepreneurial mind. So we benefit from that fact. We also benefit from the fact that space is really cool. Um, it's not that difficult to work in an industry where it, it'll always attract people because no one's going to say that it's boring. <laughs> um, so we at least have that baked in interest. Um, one of the things that I often think about, I, so I worked at DARPA for eight years and one of the directors I worked for would always say that what was once science fiction will often become science fact. And you are seeing that a lot of times um, with the space ecosystem. And like you said, you know, the things of sci-fi novels, a lot of times you just need the technological maturity to catch up with the wish of the future. And we are really at this precipice where when commerce activities become a thing in low Earth orbit, which we are actually pretty close to doing because what's required to allow that to happen are really more... Um, sophisticated launch capabilities in terms of making them cheap, routine, ubiquitous, um, all of those things. It's going to open up a tremendous need for, you know, creative ways to store energy, because if you're going to power something on the moon, you're not going to have outlets in the wall. Um, it's going to look at creative ways of manufacturing and refueling and all of these other areas that have people have been thinking about and dreaming about, but now it's becoming more possible. And so um, getting as many industries involved and recognizing that there is a place for them in the future space ecosystem now, I think is really critical because once the possibility is there, we want everyone to be able to take advantage of it and also to be able to bring their inventions to us. Um, and so one of the things that I think is extremely exciting is that I talk often about this concept of space adjacency and really what it means is recognizing these secondary and tertiary markets and industries that are going to be relevant um, in three, five, seven years. So once we have lunar outposts, what do the creature comforts look like? What is the environmental assessment around it? What do the textiles need to look like to keep humans safe for long duration missions on the moon? So these industries all have a heritage to space, and I want them to be able to self-select in and find their path within it. So right now, is that, like you mentioned, textiles, is there a, a budding textile in space, you know, startup or industry kind of somewhere out there going, hey, we already do this here, like it would, we could do it there, we just don't know, you know, we don't know what kind of the needs and the stressors are there and, and how we can serve that niche market 
uh, are there people today doing that or thinking like that? Or is that something that once it happens, that will then be the catalyst to spur that type of thought and activity? The goal of what I do at Space Foundation um, and what we're going to what we're going to be doing with Level Five Space Dock at the Levan Center, and I know we will talk about that later, but is to get people to start thinking like that. So one of the things that I often do is I do this sort of space economy one hundred and one talk, and it talks about you know economic trends, um, market drivers, technologies that are really on the the precipice and the forefront of really shaping the ecosystem. And the goal is for people to self-recognize that their idea or their technology is relevant. Um, some of the industries that I have talked to, to your point about them thinking about it, one of the major strategies for some folks to think about is the strategy of pivoting. So even though you are not already in the space industry, doesn't mean that you don't have a product or service that can very much be tweaked in a very particular way, regularized in a very particular way for the conditions of space. And so when when I work with these entrepreneurs and these high growth companies, um, I'm also looking at established companies in potentially different industries that have a very, very relevant connection to the future of space. So what, like we mentioned textiles, that probably isn't the first thing that would come to mind from a person thinking about, oh, if we, you know, are in space, we're going to need this. What are some of the other maybe things that are, are, you can clearly see as needed, but a person here may not think of it as uh, relevant to space, but it could be. Absolutely. And before I get into that, I'll actually do two qualifying thoughts, which I think are important for people to to distinguish how to think about space. So the space market really has two pieces to it. There's the space to space market and the space to earth market. So the space to space market is um, goods and services produced in space for use in space. So these are going to be things that are more far reaching um, things that are created on the lunar surface that can then be, you know, flown from that um, from the moon until Mars and other other aspects. But then there's the space to earth market, which is the um, production of goods and service in space for use on Earth. And that market is uh, 95% of the space ecosystem. So it's everything that touches us. It's telecommunications, it's broadband, it's anyone who invents an app that has a time stamping feature or a GPS feature. You're interacting with space data and space technology every day. There's also a plethora of, um, of space technology spinoffs that have permeated our daily lives like baby food and the black and decker drill um or now it was a lunar drill now it's a vacuum also invisible braces came from space technology so um i want to first level set with our listeners that they touch space at least 13 different times a day and they may not realize it um in terms of the future and these sort of how to think about the technologies and connections some are tech driven and then some are deeply human So some of the areas that are really budding, I already mentioned um, textiles, but um, the area of um, fashion design and seamstresses. So um, it's no shock to anybody listening that, you know, uh, commercial space flight for space tourism is becoming a thing. And so when that becomes a reality, there's an aesthetic that is going to be assumed that comes with that kind of activity. But also if you have everyday citizens that do not necessarily meet the you know rigorous health standards that astronauts need to go through you need spacesuits that are going to keep them healthy and safe 
Um, we're also looking at advancements in um, augmented reality and virtual reality, as well as any sort of automation and artificial intelligence. That's going to be critical for certain space missions, but also um, people are deeply human. And so if we are asking them to give up, you know, life on Earth and go for these great exploration means on uh, the moon and Mars and beyond, um, we need to keep them sane as well. One of the interesting things that has sort of, um, I think, hampered some people's thoughts when they have simulated different Mars missions, it's not the technological piece, but there's crew mutiny about five days in. And it's because you have people in dark spaces with strangers really kind of left to their own devices and their minds can start to wander. And so looking at creature comforts, you know, how can you connect them back at home? How can you keep them healthy and safe? That flies into, you know, biometrics or telemedicine, all these various areas that we take for granted on Earth, but are extremely critical in space. Um, another way is manufacturing techniques. So there have been a lot of advancements in additive manufacturing and 3D manufacturing. But one of the things that is truly going to allow space to thrive is if you take um, Earth out of the equation. And what I mean by that is that when you can when you don't have to rely on things getting flown to you from the Earth's surface, you really can then grow the sustainable ecosystem in space. And so um, being able to print your own machines and print your own electronics and things like that are really critical aspects that are going to be very necessary. Now, um, when you're in space and you have a need to build something or a place for someone to live or stay or play, um, how does not having gravity come into play of this, do you need the same types of materials or is it something that because there's no gravity, you can get away with less materials or they have to be strengthened in this way instead of the way it is in the current gravity situation here on earth? Yeah, that's a great question. Those are definitely some of the conversations happening in terms of the, um, in terms of the infrastructure and design and what these habitats look like. Um, I, I am not a materials expert, um, but I do know that those, those come into play. Also, um, what's interesting about the surface of the moon is that there's a lot of rare, rare earth materials that can be mined and then utilized for different type of building properties. And so there's a lot of opportunity. Um, it's just, what do you design those habitats to look like? The other piece too, is not so much for lunar outposts, but more for these long duration, you know, Mars missions, which I think is a community and definitely from, from Elon Musk's perspective is where people are pushing. There's still two very, um, varying schools of thought on how people would live, whether they live underground or they live in these domes like we saw in the Martian. And so I think we're still having those hypothetical conversations um, that will then turn into more more practical conversations as we get closer to that becoming a reality. Right now, it's more figuring out what's going to be necessary and put the pieces in place, um, and then the building will come. Now, um has there any been has there been any like kind of surprises or maybe accidental inventions from like folks on the um the international space station where they have to amuse themselves in some ways have they invented yeah. some games that for zero gravity have they come up with some ways to pass the time that maybe was unexpected that they just figured out because they were there stuck with each other looking at each other for so long Oh, I'm sure. I don't have any good uh, good answers to that, but I'm I'm sure. You know, I always find with humans, they um, the creativity and imagination never ceases to amaze me. Also, uh, recently, 
I had the uh, the pleasure of visiting um, Johnson Space Center out of Houston, where Mission Control is, and it was really uh, fun to see because they have a 24-hour live cam on board the ISS, and so I was able to see some of the astronauts repairing spacesuits and doing all of these um, other things. Uh, one thing I can say about just accidental inventions, I mentioned um, baby food as a as a spinoff from space technology, but that was actually came out of the need to create nutrient dense food for astronauts while while up in space. And then they realized that um, a lot of the same packaging and, you know, uh, preservation and preparing of this food could be really helpful to infants. And so that's how baby food came about. Yeah, humans are pretty creative and they figure things out, you know, especially when their life depends on it, that, you know, that's really a good uh, impetus to solve some problems. Yeah, well, and one thing I'll say, too, that wasn't a creation in space, but it definitely came from someone in the space industry. The Super Soaker was actually developed by a a former NASA uh, fluid dynamic expert who was trying to create a more fun summer gun for his children. (laughs) Now, let's talk a, a bit about the Levan Center of Innovation. How do they play in this ecosystem? Yes. So the Levan Center is one of our strategic partners, and we recently launched Level 5 Space Doc, um, which is one of their initiatives that we really want to connect the entrepreneurs at the Levan Center um, and have the Levan Center be this beacon of economic opportunity and um, and space opportunity within Broward County, but really looking at Florida more nationally and then uh, globally as well. And so um, what we've established is a series of programming to help connect the entrepreneurs to the greater space ecosystem and train them for insertion and scalability. So we are going to be doing everything from um, very much space-focused cohorts. So following their structure of their founder's journey, which is very prosperous and very successful already at the Levan Center, we created what I like to call a space wrapping on top of it. And so uh, taking the structure, we added space business lessons to help entrepreneurs be able to find where the relevant insertion point is, figure out what their framework is, um, figure out scalability. How do you think about partnership? How might you go about investment? And we have different programs designed for different maturity levels of companies as well, because um, some people are just thinking about the idea. Some people actually have a prototype, going back to what we said earlier about the strategy of pivoting, that they might to want to um, maneuver into, into the space industry. And so um, we really wanted to be able to meet the entrepreneurs with the right resources at the right time. And so we have our first cohort actually launching February 28th, which is the ID8 cohort. And then the Space Incubate cohort is following with a start date of March 6th. And these cohorts are going to continue throughout this year. Um, There's going to be different versions of them and then into next year. And then we're also going to be doing very different um, sort of space um, space events and space panels. And so we're going to do various panels, one on, you know, space medicine. So how do you think about the future of medicine? How can industries help create this framework of what's necessary for, for its growth and sustainment? We're going to be looking at the industry of satellites, which really right now is one of the major backbones of the space ecosystem. And then also looking at a lot of these other um, far flung, but relevant capabilities that are going to be necessary for the future of space. And so there really is something for everybody. And they have just been so wonderful. What I love about um, John, who leads the team, is that 
he very much approaches problems like I do where nothing's off the table. And so it very much has been this creative process to figure out how we can bring the most impact to the entrepreneurs they serve, but then also have the LeVan Center be this flagship for people within Broward County. But then also um, we want to get the word out so more people can take advantage of the services. So, uh, Kelly, what do you need more of? Uh, how can we help you in Space Foundation? That's great. Um, I appreciate that question. I would say um, just more people to, to take a chance on space. And what I mean by that is going back to a comment I meant earlier, or I said earlier, rather, is that nobody thinks that space isn't cool. The problem is, is a lot of people don't recognize that their background, their skill set, their their capability, their technology fits within it. Um, so they might write it off and just say, okay, well, I'm in a monitor space from a enthusiast point of view, but not actually figure out, figure it out from a business point of view. And so, um, I would encourage them, you know, to, to look at Space Commerce Institute, the entity that I run, um, to learn about how to think about space and, um, how we want folks to grow. And then for those in Broward County, definitely check out the level five space doc resources we provide, because as I mentioned, there really is something for everybody. Um, I'm a firm believer that, you know, entrepreneurship is not a one size fits all. There are very unique challenges that each company has. And so we want to be able to serve them where they are in their particular journey and help them succeed. Right. But I think it's so important to have somebody like you and the folks at LeVan to show people the way and, and help them connect dots where they might be the exact right person, but they're just not seeing it or they think the timeline's too far and, it, and they can't play yet. And But somebody has to be there to kind of show them the path or at least show them that it is possible and to at least expand your thinking into this realm because without those types of partnerships and without those types of relationships, it's going to take even longer. You'll have to build them from scratch. And there's already so many people doing so many amazing things here. It's just a matter of them opening their mind and connecting some dots so that they can see what's possible. Absolutely. And the point that you made is is so spot on about people thinking that the opportunities are too far in the future. And one of the um, things that we really try to do is create a practical roadmap with very tangible um, elements and resources. Because as you know, because you've, you've worked with tons of entrepreneurs and, and businesses, is that even if something isn't going to be possible as a business case for five years, there's still things that you need to do now to prepare yourself for that. And so what I like to illuminate from a space perspective is being able to balance this altruism and excitement for where the future is going with real pragmatism for what's going to create ROI now. But for these companies that may have a technology and capability that will be really relevant, let them know exactly when their insertion point is and what they need to do now in terms of establishing partnerships or potentially tweaking their tech development timeline. There are really critical things that they can do to prime the path so that when the opportunity is there, they're ready to jump as opposed to waiting and then being a bit too late to the game. Um, space is really attracting a lot of people right now, which is very exciting. I always say there's really no better time to become part of the space ecosystem. And so the more people that we can get to recognize that it should be part of their business path now, it will just serve them better for the opportunities to come. So if somebody wants to connect with you or somebody on the team, what is the coordinates? What's the website or best way to learn more? 
Absolutely. I appreciate that. It is um, spacefoundation.org slash SCI. That'll take you directly to our Space Commerce Institute um, webpage. And then you can you can browse content. We have um, programs and services that we offer. And then we also have an element on there, which is free content called The Vector. And what The Vector is, is I have a conversation every month with um, different individuals on topics, trends, and like inventions really driving the space ecosystem. So it's one way to to help individuals to start to think about the opportunities. Um, there's also a form on there and it comes directly to my inbox. And so I invite everyone um, to, to fill it out. Please connect. I really believe that like one of the greatest joys of my life is seeing people succeed and seeing their ideas become a reality. And if I can play a small part in that and help them create a strategy around it, that's really good for me. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. You're doing such important work and we appreciate you. Well, thanks, Lee. Um, And I think that these kind of conversations are really, really important because um, for entrepreneurs, I've worked with entrepreneurs for a long time um, and, and businesses that are looking to scale. And sometimes, you know, in the confronted with too many options, you sort of get analysis paralysis. And so being able to actually break down where people should focus or even opportunities that they didn't know were illuminated to them, I think is really important. Yeah, something I um, heard a while ago was sometimes you need help, but sometimes you need a helper. And you need someone to kind of be your Sherpa to guide you through some of these things that to that helper, it's very obvious and clear, but to you, it seems difficult or, or impossible. So to have a human being that you can interact with that can say, hey, just tweak this thing a little and you're you're almost there, like that's that can make the difference between somebody taking action or not. Absolutely. And one of the things that I've really stressed with my team too, and this is why I mentioned that the form submission comes straight to my inbox and my teams is... I was a consultant um, for seven years prior to to joining the Space Foundation, and I um, very much believe in what you said. It's that it's that human touch and the necessity to sometimes, you know, cut through the red tape and answer a question. And so, for anyone who contacts us, we always always respond because I understand that it takes a big step to even reach out and ask for help. And if we can help illuminate an opportunity, point them in the right direction. Um, I don't like just responding with generic emails. And so I, I firmly believe that it's it's important to offer that, you know, that warm hand and that warm guidance. Yep. Well, thank you again for sharing your story. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Innovation Radio. This episode of Innovation Radio was brought to you by the world's first theme park for entrepreneurs, the Levan Center of Innovation the only innovation center in the nation to support the founder's journey from birth of an idea through successful exit or global expansion. If you're ready to launch or scale your business, please check out the Levant Center of Innovation by visiting nova.edu forward slash innovation.